Hey, good evening, everyone. I want to welcome you back to our third season of Deliberate Conversations, where we've been discussing addictions. Uh, this is episode three. Uh, as we, uh, uh, for those who have already uh, listened, thank you so much for that. We appreciate that. Uh, just a little bit of review. Uh, we, the first session, we were talking about more of definitions and things about addiction, and really tied that into idolatry. Uh, our last uh, episode, we were talking about more from a church-wide view of how do you work with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are dealing with addictions. And the next two sessions are uh, going to be handling uh, family issues, uh, dealing with addictions in the family uh, format. And this is the one, and the next two sessions, again, these are the questions that we received from you guys. So thank you very much for doing that. So I'm going to ask Frankie, if you would just open our time up in word and prayer, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, you are a good father. Um, I want to thank you for that. Just so reminded that of that again today, that how good you are to us, even mm. um, when we don't deserve it. Uh, Father, I pray as we discuss this tonight and talk about family and addictions that we don't become so arrogant to think that that's just something that involves other people, but it's not something that we wrestle with ourselves. So help us to be aware of that as we're discussing. Help us to handle situations with uh, a handful of grace, Father. Mm. Help us to just focus on you and, and trust that you are the one who's working in all of our lives and drawing us out of addiction and drawing us out of sin and uh, and pursuing us to be more like you. It's only through that that we have hope at all. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we'll uh, look to you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you very much. Um, for those of you who tuned in for the first two episodes, you'll notice that we uh, Phil is not here, but we've got uh, Steve Bales uh, here with us tonight. So, Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, so to start off, we're gonna, I'm just going to reread uh, our working definition of addictions, and then we're going to get into the questions that you guys submitted. So again, uh, this isn't ours. Uh, this is from Ed Welch. Uh, he says this, addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from the truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance and leading to further estrangement from God. And so that's what we've been working with as far as our definition. And so now let's dive into um, the questions uh, that have been given to us. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Well, well I'm, gonna sure. read, I'm gonna read the question whether you're ready or not. So here we go. Uh, as a Christian, what should be the first step or steps when you think your spouse is struggling with addiction? So what should be your first step or steps when you suspect that your spouse might be struggling with addictive behavior? I so bad want to say nagging, but obviously that's not the right wow. answer. Wow. I don't know why I keep wanting to, I, 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 I don't know. Um, no, but, you know, obviously I think the first thing is have a hard conversation, you know, with your spouse. It's um, sometimes we want to, um, I know I, in the past I have, want to baby step around things with a spouse because I have to live with my spouse and so I'm trying to what can you know how can I easily approach things um but so sometimes you know so in the past we've really avoided hard conversations Mm. and by avoiding that it leads to more stress it leads to more um hurt in the long run for both of us and so figuring out how to um with grace approach that conversation and mm. just start the conversation rolling and i know it's going to be a hard conversation but 
you know, it's it's vital to their health, both physically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that's where you All start. Right. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, if you're talking about a marital relationship, you should be working to to get to a place where you can actually confront each other about the hard issues and mm-hmm. and understand, hopefully that you're you're approaching this out of a place of love and concern for the other person and not not pointing the finger and saying oh hey you failed here it's no right. we're we're supposed to be loving each other and sometimes loving each other looks like approaching somebody um about a sin issue or a potential sin issue it's yeah and the, the same thing you would do for a friend if you see a friend struggling with a certain issue you or I hope you would have have the uh, gumption to go to that person and and call them on that and, and encourage them to do what is right. And the same thing with a spouse. It's Yes, it can be intimidating. Yes, you might worry about rocking the boat in the relationship. But as as Christians, as believers, we should be trying to come to that place with our spouses where we can talk about the hard issues and not be offended by that. I think one of the things we discussed in the last episode is that somebody that is struggling with addictive behavior is also going to be very secretive. Uh, they don't want this to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do you do for the individual who may be concerned that, that this just might just become a nuclear reaction when you bring this up uh, to them? Because I do agree. I think you, you've got to confront. I mean, you can't, uh, like Frankie said, keep tiptoeing around something that's damaging that individual. And if it's damaging them, then in turn it's going to damage you know the spousal relationship. And if there's kids involved, that could go down that road. So how do you approach it when you're really uh, concerned about uh, that person, how they're going to react when you bring this up to them? Hmm. <clears throat> this is just me, but um, that's going to be that's going to depend a lot on the actual person you're talking to. Like my wife is going to react one way all y'all's wives are going to react a totally different way. I'm going to react one way if somebody confronts me about sin and like we're all going to respond differently. So if you're worried about a blow up, um, talk to somebody who's close to the relationship, but on the outside of the relationship maybe, and get a, get a perspective of, Mm. and in not, and not in a way that's, um, and not in a way that's gossiping, but just saying, Hey, I have this concern. I, I need some outside wisdom. I need some outside help here. Mm. Like, just just get another perspective, whether that's from a friend, a church leader, leader, community group leader, um, somebody. Good. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important that we learn how to, to to talk to one another as our spouses. You know, um, like I said, that was a difficult thing for myself and Melanie when we first got married um, we had two totally different communication styles mm-hmm. and I'm not saying we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're perfect by any means now but knowing that we're on the same team and learning how to actually communicate and talk well with one another so if that's your first thing is like I'm scared this is going to blow up well that you first off we need to figure out y'all need to learn how to communicate with one another mm-hmm. um, because when now yeah. I mean I know we're on the same team um, and when we have those tough conversations, I know she's not attacking me. She's not um, coming after me, but she is coming after me for love out of a loving uh, environment. Yeah. Um, because we've learned how to communicate, again, not perfectly, but it's definitely better than what it was when in year one of marriage versus year 20 of marriage. Um, 
so that's the thing. Learn if if you're that scared that the words that are going to come out of your mouth is going to send your spouse off in a rage, then we need to fix it down and figure out how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Good. Any other comments on that that first question? Um, I, I think we would all agree that the very first step or steps is to actually sit down and talk to them about it because um, you can't just keep ignoring it. So very good. All right, second question. How do you reconcile, and this is obviously going to be coming from a wife, how do you reconcile submitting to your husband and finding a way to confront him regarding his addiction? I think what they're, I think what it's trying to communicate is, is the husband, you know, and we're assuming that these are, you know, a Christian relationship, assuming that the husband is the head of the home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you do that in a way that you are still in submission to your husband and yet needing to confront him regarding his addictive behavior? So wives submitting to their husbands has to do with submitting to him as spiritual head of the household. And uh, Whit and I were talking minute ago about leadership headship it always involves servanthood not tyrannical overlording Um, but if a man or any other christian is caught up in a sinful behavior um, don't let that confuse you with the idea that you're not supposed to confront sin regardless of who that is. That, that has nothing to do with submission to spiritual authority. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow there are people that wrote that question or are listening to this question that have kind of been browbeaten with that idea in order to secure a safe place for someone to sin. Hmm by insinuating that has something to do with your biblical obedience. So I don't see those questions as being related, Mm. and uh, you need to pull those apart. Mm. Good answer. Very good. Anybody else? Because I think we discussed it in the last episode. I mean, the person that is struggling with addictive behavior is going to be very manipulative, and I'm sure this would be one of the cards that they would pull out uh, if that was being, you know, communicated as far as like submission and and all those things and depending on uh the wife's um emotional and spiritual makeup she might be just hypersensitive that kind of stuff and it would be a way to just keep her quiet about so that's very good steve thank you and just to add on to that if if that is the case where where the husband is using what what he would term as biblical submission to keep a wife quiet that is absolutely antithetical to good godly fathering leadership in the home so there's there's more issues that need to be addressed at that point Mm. so i think their follow-up question would be okay so then what do i do and this is like any other form of church discipline if you go to someone Mm. because of a sin uh the trigger phrase is if they will not hear they will not listen uh, then you're to get two or more and then finally go mm-hmm. to the elders and mm-hmm. uh, if they don't listen to the elders and you take it to the church but certainly you just go on to the next step if failing at that first step produces no results 
or worse, some crazy idea like you need to be submissive to me, um, then you need a couple of mature Christian friends uh, or perhaps straight the elders, depending on how intense that situation is. But going to the next step, we don't mean to leave that at that doorstep. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, because that's what it's intended to do is to stop you at step one and not go on to step two. Mm. Very good. Mm. Any other comments on that one? Good. This, this next question going to be kind of similar and it's almost like worded differently but does does loving your family member mean that you have the responsibility to make them face their addiction no the short answer yes short answer yes long answer or the the other question that would go on with that is like what is what does that look like in each individual circumstance um yeah, when you say, do I have responsibility to make someone face their addiction, that presupposes that I can. Mm, true. And if we leave that alone and presuppose that someone can, then you're going to feel this burden of responsibility that somehow if they're not facing their addictions because you didn't make them. So you can't make anybody face their addiction. Mm. That's like making a two-year-old eat green beans are just certain things that is just a non-winning battle when you walk into it i hope none so, of my kids are listening to this right so, now about uh, the green don't beans. pick fights that you can't <laughs> win yeah so um, would a would a better way to phrase that question be does loving your family member give you the responsibility to to approach them or call them out on their addictive behavior rather rather than saying well, because you can't necessarily make a person face um, something like that but to to call them out on that or to encourage them to change their behavior so we all we all have a responsibility to confront one another that's one of the mm -hmm. cardinal one another's in scripture so yeah I'll probably talk about this later but I I almost want to separate the word addiction from the word sin because they're mm. not the same. True. Uh, you can be addicted and there's nothing sinful about it. Um, so, you know, babies are born addicted to drugs. Um, women who are taken into sex slave uh, or trafficking young girls are given heroin every day uh, because it's like tying a leash around them. They're not going to leave because they got them addicted. That wasn't even something they chose to do. Mm. So you can produce addiction artificially, and that's, I'm going to make that distinct as being different mm. from sin. Mm -hmm. And I think what most people mean when we're talking about this is addiction to sinful behaviors. So if you're asking me, do you you have a responsibility to confront people about their sin. I think once you say it that way, everybody says, well, of course. Oh, yeah. The hesitancy is like the person uh, back in step one who said, you know, what if, what if something's going to explode? They already sense it. They know that there is, this is more than just confronting Frankie about a sinful behavior. 
when addiction is associated with it, everybody can sense that if you touch that, he's going to go off because there's addiction associated with it. Mm. Good, point. Good point. Good point. I'll run with that. Yeah, and I, and I think for to finish out what the question was I have here, and uh, we will eventually get to the medical questions in just a couple of minutes. I do. I think it would be uh, safe for us to assume that we're addressing sinful activity where the person has made the choice to. And again, uh, as we discussed in our very first session, sometimes we think that there's okay addictive behavior, like you're addicted to the internet, or you're addicted to your smartphone, or you're addicted to exercise, you're addicted to these things that on the surface don't, at least from a human perspective, fall in the same categories of drug and drugs, pornography, and all of those things. Uh, so we, uh, if we, I think that's a great point that you made, Steve. That let's, as we finish these questions, when it's talking about the family, let's assume that the person has made the choice uh, to uh, delve into whatever addictive behavior that they're in, but now they're captured by it and they mm -hmm. can't, mm -hmm. they can't get out of it uh, themselves. And so. Um, yes, I, I know it sounds almost like, you know, Jesus is the answer to most questions, uh, though we did find out the other week it wasn't always the answer in the kids' catechism, but does your family, does it, loving your family mean, member mean you have the responsibility, uh, I think it would be better worded to confront them about their addiction, I th certainly yes, as a, a brother or sister in Christ, we have that responsibility to do that. Okay, next question. Uh, is just trusting in God's plan and faithfulness an excuse to avoid speaking up? And I think what they're saying is, should I just pray about it, ask God to work in that person's heart, and then just leave it up to God and just avoid speaking about it altogether? No. <laughs> and that, that almost sounds like their question is self-condemning, like they're already ashamed of themselves. Um. Or they're ashamed of somebody else, and this is uh, is just trusting in God's plan an excuse. Um, well, so trusting in God is never an excuse. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I feel like the person's saying, hey, I see this behavior. Um, I see it's bad, um, but I'm going to trust God's going to work in that person, and I'm not going to have to do anything and say anything. Yeah. I'm going to trust in, that God is going to be faithful and and heal that person without me having to do anything or, or speaking up and talking to that person. Right. So they may be saying that because they're scared to death. Right. Very well in could be. In which case I'd say, no, I understand you're scared to death. Let's get you some help mm -hmm. about mm. confronting that. If it's laziness, then, right. of course, that you're unwilling to look at somebody and say, mm -hmm. you know, you have this repetitive sinful behavior, and I just hadn't said anything about it because I figured God would eventually iron it out. Uh, mm -hmm. I, most of the time when people avoid speaking to someone about an addiction, it's for at least understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. They've probably tried it before, so. <laughs> right. It didn't go so well. Right. Well, I mean, I think we're talking about addiction. I, I, so there's the line between addiction. If it's just a, something like a sin, maybe, I don't know, I would maybe, if it's not a pattern in their life, then maybe, you know, so I, I don't know. I'm, 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 um, so, Frank, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I'm gonna, I was going to laugh and say, okay, so, Christy, you sin, but I'm just going to let well, that No, go. I mean, like, like I mean, I so, I'm, I like, I'm not, I'm not saying, calling out everybody's sin all the time. Like, I'm not going to yeah. run around and saying, oh, you did this now, you did that now. <laughs> you know, like, 
I feel like I'm standing in judgment over people. But if it's a repetitive thing, or in this case, we're talking about addiction. So, yeah, I feel like, well, Steve, we, we have to speak up and say sure. something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's a one-time, one-off thing where I feel like this person's still growing in Christ and, and you know, yeah, I may not say nothing the first time. If yeah, just, was, yeah, then you do let God and pray that right. the Holy Spirit will do the work in their heart. Right. So, okay, I see what I you're saying. I knew that's what you were saying, so, but I had to give you a hard time. Let's say, for instance, that I said something rude to Steve. Oh, that, that's sinful to say something rude to him. I said something that was disrespectful. You know, the Bible says that love covers a multitude to, of mm -hmm. sin, and it's a glory unto a man to overlook an offense. Mm -hmm. So does that mean we're supposed to confront all the sin that we see? No, really some of it you just cover, right? right? Mm -hmm. Because we'd spend all of our lives talking about each other's sin. Here, here. Well, when especially if I know it's not your character. Like, I know that's not your character to talk rude about Steve. Well, I mean, well, you talk to him about us, but, but, <laughs> 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 but not to his face. And so, <laughs> Steve, will, Steve will never come back from one of these again if we... But no, I mean, like, so I know that's not your, like you're saying, like, I know that's not your character. I see your character, and if I see you, you spoke to Steve, rude to Steve one time, I'm like, okay, that's out of right. character, but... And Steve probably deserved it, so I mean, it's, it's okay. It's That's probably true. He told me I couldn't sing in the band, so. But obviously, if people have a, a, a very significant offense, or it's repetitive, or, you know, if every week Frankie was saying something offensive to people, yeah, I got a responsibility. Mm. I pull him aside and, mm -hmm. and uh, say, hey, I got I to gotta tell you something that I'm seeing. So this um, next question, we're going to, yes. good good thought. This next just falls right in line with this, and I think will help us complete the circle on this this particular one. How do you know when just to wait and pray and when to do something? When do you cross the point where, um, you know, you're praying about how do I confront the person and all those things, or God, please change their heart. Where do you cross or get to that critical mass where you can't wait anymore and you have to address the addictive behavior with the person well i think steve started to nail it on the head he started to see a pattern you know mm -hmm. um if i see a pattern in a person that's unusual like if okay now i've seen steve he, the last three weeks he has said something to the the green about uh it's kind of rude and now, I, I, now i'm gonna pull steve aside and say, hey is, is mm -hmm. everything all right you know let's talk for a minute make sure everything's cool there i mean i'm so i i look for that i'm looking for that pattern and, and that's not normal yeah, you're right, because I think when we go back to that very first session, we're looking at, we just gave those very generic hints right. of what to look, if you're suspecting somebody that you love uh, has fallen into addictive behavior and they're now gripped by it, we just gave some of those general questions to just start thinking through and thinking about, and I think uh, one of the answers that I would give to this is if you start... Um, you know, I'm not saying you can do an Excel spreadsheet, but if you go, no, I've noticed this, I've noticed this, I've noticed this, and they, these aren't just one-off things. These are now things I'm starting to see over and over again. I think that's a point where you need to just sit down and, and have that conversation. Uh, I'm, for me, at least personally, up to that point, I'd be praying. I'd be praying, first of all, God, give me discernment. You know, make sure am I really seeing these things? This is what I'm really seeing. And then if it is, yes, then okay, God. Um, do a work in their heart, and if it just continues, okay, God, I help me. I got to sit down and talk. I agree. Wow, 
So now let's uh, get into uh, what I think is a very important thing, um, and this was not directly asked of us, but I think we would be remiss if we did not address this. Um, for a lot of addictive behavior, there is a, uh, a medical aspect that's going on in the background. So, um, Steve, what are some of the medical effects of addiction? And I think we need to look at more of the the alcohol, drugs, and, and those things. But what are some of the effects on the human body uh, of just those types of addictive behavior? I'm just going to assume that this was directed at Steve Bales and not Steve Green. <laughs> well, I was hoping that you would start us off. But if not, then we'll... We, we'll, we'll I guess we'll go to Bales. We'll <laughs> refer to the doctor <laughs> up at the table. Um, so, yeah, I tell you that my definition may have a little bit different spin. Um but I think all addiction is medical. But very often it involves immoral behaviors. Um, so when I talk about somebody who is addicted or showing addictive behavior or the whole subject of addiction, I'm talking about um, something that is biological, neurochemical, uh, and it's a form of slavery. It mm. produces compulsive behaviors. Um, if not repeated on a regular basis, it produces anxiety, fear. And if you, um, <clears throat> people develop extreme difficulty stopping something that they don't want to do anyway. Um, they get physical withdrawal symptoms. So oftentimes when I hear the talk about addiction, I'm, I'm hearing about sinful behavior, and that's oftentimes true. But I think it was Ed Welch that called it volunteer slavery. Mm -hmm. um, mm. That You got yourself there. You opened the, the jail cell door yourself, walked in, and allowed the door to shut behind you. But that doesn't mean that now there's something more than just moral choices. You make a moral choice to do something sinful, and you can repent of it, and with God's help, you walk away from that. But when you use the word addiction, you've thrown it to something else. Mm -hmm. So if I'm addicted to something immoral, is that my fault? Yes. Does that mean the addiction is moral? I would say no. And that complicates things. Yeah. The fact that people are asking these questions says that everybody out there listening senses that addiction is different from habitual sin. They look at this different. Their experience with people are different. Everybody's known someone who is addicted, and it is a different, you know, you tiptoe around them. Whereas, you know, if I've just got a bad habit of using foul language, um, that's a sinful, repetitive, habitual mm -hmm. habit. Mm -hmm. but that's not an addiction. I'm not going to develop compulsive behavior if I hadn't cussed in an hour. <laughs> or <Thankfully. laughs> lie about it right. so that I can hide it. Um, and it's something that I can be confronted about with God's help. I can turn around and, and walk away from it, 
without withdrawal, without the anxiety, without mm. the fears. But there, there is a neurochemical rut in the road that has been run from doing something repetitively. You know, once you're in a rut in the road, it's hard to pull out of it and mm. drive mm. somewhere different. You're going to fall back in that rut. Mm. When you enter the Alaskan tundra, there's a sign up there that says, Pick your ruts carefully. You're going to be in it for the next 1,500 miles. And uh, because it's very difficult once you're in a rut to yeah. pull out of it. Mm-hmm. So, so I, think we, I think it was one of our first two episodes. We kind of touched on the subject of let's say that you're just addicted to your smartphone. Uh, you are addicted because there are those neurological things that keep going yes. in your head. Every time you get that like and all those things, it just all of a sudden it just starts adding up. And so, yes, even in those things that just seem almost innocuous, you know, it's not like you've got a needle that you're putting into your arm, but in essence you are. Like I think you, the word you use, slavery, is just hits the nail on the head. And so... For all of these things that are addictive, as you said, there is that neurological and neurochemical, I guess, using the correct word, uh, thing uh, that does go on that, um, yeah, I think is, you know, goes through the whole realm of whatever addictive behavior that we want to talk about. I just, correct? I, yeah, I think, you know, that whole, that whole concept you just talked about with the whole rut thing, that was really good um, because, you know, is, you are in a rut. And I, I remember I, when I used to play uh, saxophone in high school, I, I, I had a teacher that um, I would go to and take private lessons from. And that was the one thing. He was like, when you're practicing music, he talked about that. He's like, when you play something and you play it wrong, it's like you're creating mm-hmm. a rut. And I, he, right. he, that's the way he described it, like yep. a rut in your mind. And he said, like, and every time you play it wrong, you're reinforcing that rut. Right. And to get it out of it, he said you'd have to you have to do it like a, a million more times. It's, it's like you're building. It's like you're you're carving the Grand Canyon essentially. Anytime you do something, you know, yeah. and it's just like it starts off as a little river, and then gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so now to veer off, you've got to make it deeper than what that. If you want that river to veer off and go in a different direction, you've got to work twice as hard now to make that to make that rut deeper to make the river flow a different direction. Yes. And so the whole concept that's that's that's, that's very helpful for me. So thank mm. you. The other thing that is, it's a new word, tachyphylaxis. Hmm. I like that word. Is it catchy? <laughs> I'm going to write so, that down. <laughs> tachyphylaxis <laughs> is, a, is a medical word. I need Whitney to help me to spell it do, first. Yeah, and you need a face mask if, you, if somebody has it. <laughs> right. So um, tachyphylaxis is when more of something is required to produce the same effect. Mm. And, uh, and that's very true of addiction and hmm. addiction can be to something like a telephone so if i see a teenage kid that looks at their phone every two to three minutes even though they're not expecting anything to be there they have become addicted they are releasing dopamine in their brain it hits the pleasure center of the brain but it's so subliminal that they don't realize it mm-hmm. but um Phones now will count how many times you look at them in a day. It's staggering. Mm-hmm. And so they're taking tiny hits of dopamine all through the day. So is that sinful? No. Could it be associated with sin? Yes. Mm-hmm. Could be. Is it necessarily? No. 
So you could be addicted to a phone, and I don't consider that a moral, that's not sinful in itself. Mm-hmm. But if you got addicted to it because you have this fear of man thing, and mm-hmm. your self-image has become all too important, and you're checking to see how many likes you got all the time on a phone, your addiction to the phone happened because of a sinful behavior, and now you're addicted to your phone. Mm-hmm. And after a while, That's a good point. the original sin might even disappear, but you're still addicted to looking at the telephone. You said the prison door has shut behind you, and now yes. you're, you're stuck. Right. So, so I think... Um, I wanted to quote this first, but it it's Galatians five one. I might butcher it, but it, oh, good Frankie. Um, it says it is for freedom that you were set free. Hmm. So do not. Okay, therefore don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Well, that's a real interesting phrase because. The yoke of slavery, if I put a yoke on someone and they're a slave, that's not something you can just take off like a pair of shoes and set it back Mm -hmm. down. And yet it says, well, you're the one that submitted yourself to it. It's not like somebody else put it on you. Yes. And yet we have to recognize this is going to be difficult. So when people are asking us these questions, what do I do? Do I have a responsibility for this? Usually when you're talking about addiction that also involves a sinful behavior you need help you need mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know call an elder call a christian counselor call bob call 911 i don't know but you need help because people are real touchy about mm. their addictions um but they got there many times voluntarily not mm-hmm. always yeah the drug trafficking girl sure. didn't, uh-huh. the infant who had a mother who's addicted to cocaine but many times we submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery, and yet it says Christ set you free so that you'd be free. Mm. So for the medical aspect oh, of yeah. the the addic- <laughs> no, that's sorry get back to that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that that's uh, that's right on. Actually, I mean it's perfectly described. Yeah. So it the situation. But the yoke is there now. So what are some resources medically? Yes, we, we talk to them spiritually. We pray for them. We counsel them. But what are some resources medically that we can use to also help to get that yoke off of them, uh, to free them from that addictive slavery that they're now stuck in? So I'll in? give you some simple. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to go to heroin so addiction understand. because that gets real complicated. Yeah. But most addictions in their final analysis, whether sinful behaviors or not, um, they're executed by neurohormonal pathways. So we get addicted to spikes in dopamine. Mm-hmm. Hits the pleasure center of the brain. If you take one snort of cocaine, you get massive dumping of dopamine in your brain. And a lot of people say that the first time you use cocaine, you'll feel better than you have in your entire life, and you'll spend the rest of your life trying to recapture Mm. that. Although repeat episodes of cocaine never produce that first experience, and yet you'll pursue it for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, So take cigarette smokers. They get a little tiny spike in dopamine, nothing like cocaine, 
but they're getting a spike in dopamine, but there's 20 cigarettes in a pack, 20 puffs off a cigarette, 400 doses a day for the pack per day smoker. 400 doses, even of small spikes, will produce a dopamine addiction. So people quit smoking and they say, I don't want to quit smoking because I'll gain weight. The reason they gain weight is not because they overeat. It's because they turn to carbohydrates. And carbohydrates produce insulin, and insulin stimulates fat deposition. And the reason they turn to carbohydrates is the first time when you put out your cigarettes that you eat a Twinkie, your brain says, that'll do, because you get a spike in dopamine when you eat sugar or a simple starchy carbohydrate, which is a reason that if I told y'all, listen, you have to give up turkey and green beans, you'd shrug your shoulders and say, so? Praise mm-hmm. God for that. But if I say, hey, <laughs> you got to come off sugar and carbs. I've seen patients get sweat on their brow with me just talking to them about it. They're already, their brain's already withdrawn, and they look fearful. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to answer your question, what can you do? Um, explaining this to people is very helpful mm. to say, I'm not – giving you an out about your sinful behavior but uh, there are some things that we might can do to help you with the addictive part of this sinful behavior it's not a matter of saying well you just don't have enough faith that's the reason that you're addicted well that might have gotten you in the jail cell but now the door is locked mm-hmm. you, um, get out. You, you need some friends to mm. help you with that part of it so defining it is very helpful And there are even things that you can do to prevent dopamine withdrawal in people Mm. that um, gets very complex depending on how bad of an addiction you're talking about. And they can be talked about together, but they are one follows the other. They're often walking hand in hand, but they are separate ideas. That's great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's important for people to hear that, that – um, yes, there. You're you've got um, you're going down parallel paths here. There's the sinful behavior that's now got you locked into jail, but now there is a real physical addiction to whatever that addictive behavior is, and there's actually resources that can even help uh, with that. Um, not that you quit praying, not you that you quit doing the spiritual side of it, but there are. And again, I'm not going to discount and say God can't heal somebody physically also when it comes to something like this. That does happen, but it's extremely rare. But it's good to know that there are other resources that, you know, medically speaking, that can be used to help people get out of that jail cell again and back out onto the street to be able to live a normal uh, life that that yoke's been lifted off of them. I've known people that were hopelessly addicted to something came to Christ and they were delivered of it on the same Mm -hmm. evening, never went back and never had a desire for it. That's supernatural because it transgresses Mm -hmm. natural law. That's a miracle. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean if the next person's addicted to it, that the reason that they don't have that kind of recovery is because they have lack of faith Mm -hmm. any more than God can heal Bob of a lung cancer. And that's supernatural. That's not supposed to disappear, but God transgressed Mm -hmm. natural law and he healed him of it. So if Frankie's got lung cancer, I can't look at Frankie and say, well, if you had the faith that Bob would, your cancer would go away too. Because yeah. some of that is sovereign choices and what mm-hmm. God does. Um, but that can happen. Sure. And um, 
Yeah. We I just mean, don't want to blindside people to say, well, it will always happen that way. Yeah. Right. Right. Sets up, yep. sets up a false hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're any less spiritual than the person that had that miraculous healing of whatever the uh, addictive behavior again. Again, that's God's sovereign working in their lives. And I'm just grateful that in God's sovereignty, he gave other resources, humanly speaking, as far as medicine and all those things that can help. Mm. Um, You know, I could have ignored what was going on with my Crohn's disease and I might be dead by now because I, well, I was expecting God to heal it. um, But God chose to do his work through a surgeon and Mm -hmm. medicine that I take. and, And I'm fine with that. That's God doing his work through those means to keep me where I am uh, today. So it doesn't mean that I'm any less spiritual than, you know, the other person that God, you know, supernaturally does that work. So, um, Jesus finds the guy sitting by the pool of Siloam. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And he asked him a really interesting question. He said, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And so that may seem like a ridiculous question. Um, but he'd been there for, I don't know, 20, 30 years and said, well, I just could never get down to the pool in time. Dip in, yeah. um, if I have a patient who smokes, I ask him a question that might sound a little unusual. I don't ever ask him, do you want to quit smoking? Because that sounds like, do you want to stick your finger in your eye? I ask them, do you want to be a non-smoker? Which is a different question because they don't have to deal with the how. Mm. And it may not surprise you, but some people say no. Right. And I say, okay, let's move on. Because I can't help a smoker who doesn't want to be a non-smoker mm-hmm. any more than someone who's caught up in a sin who is now addicted to it. I can't help them if they don't want to be free of a sinful mm-hmm. um, behavior, I would question strongly whether or not this person is a Christian. But it should be something that a Christian says, I don't want to do this. I'm just having extreme right. difficulty. Mm. And we say, okay, we can start from there. Mm-hmm. Just needed to clarify. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you were free from it? Mm. That's good. That's great. I think we'll end this episode on that because that is true. Um, so thank you so much. Good. I'm starting to get withdrawal from coffee. I gotta. Oh my goodness. <laughs> go get another cup. That's that's kind of sad. So I, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna, yes we'll we'll help you with that later, Steve. I do want to end like we've ended our first two sessions with um, Paul's encouragement to us as we work through. Um, whether we're struggling with that addictive behavior ourselves or uh, someone in our family uh, or close uh, brother or sister in Christ. Just echo the words again of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and adores all things. Love never ends. 
And I think that has to be the overarching thing. Uh, whenever we're dealing, whether it's ourselves struggling with it, uh, or we're dealing with a loved one, that our, our love cannot end. Because uh, mm-hmm. God's love for us does not end. And so we need to extend that same grace and patience with those who are struggling through that. So I'll, I'll close this episode in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that uh, he is the one that we can come to, uh, God, uh, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, No matter uh, how long we've been struggling with sinful behavior, we can come to him for that. And, Father, I'm just so thankful that in your sovereignty that you've also allowed other resources for us to be able to use uh, and that are our disposal to help us to overcome that addictive behavior. Thank you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There is no prison door that that has to stay shut. Uh, There is freedom, freedom in Christ, uh, freedom in working through these things, whether you choose to heal it miraculously or you choose other means. There is freedom uh, if we want it. And so, Father, thank you for being gracious to us in that and offering that to us. So I pray, Lord, that tonight uh, this has been helpful. And, God, I just ask that you will, uh, for those who are struggling with this, that you will do a work in their hearts. And, and most of all, God, that they will come to us uh, for help uh, so that we can steer them in the right direction to get, so they can live their life uh, free in Christ. So, again, thank you for Jesus, and thank you we ask you to do these things in his name. Amen. So tune in next week for episode four.